0: You're listening to KZO Allen, on Oleander public radio. Recording by Rick Vina Astounding Stories 10, October 1930 By Various Section 5 Chapter 5 The Enemy Strikes As Dick's airship veered and sideslipped, he kicked hard on the left rudder, AND BROUGHT THE NOSE AROUND. FURIOUSLY, HE SPRAYED THE AIR WITH A LEADEN HAIL FROM HIS QUICK-FIRER. HE HEARD A RUSH OF WIND GO PAST HIM, AND REALIZED THAT HIS UNSEEN ANTAGONIST HAD ALL BUT RAMMED HIM. YET NOTHING WAS VISIBLE AT ALL, SAVE THE MOON AND THE EMPTY SKY. HE HAD HEARD THE RUSH OF THE PROP-WASH, BUT HE HAD SEEN NOTHING, HEARD NOTHING ELSE. INCREDIBLE AS IT SEEMED, The pilot was flying a plane that had attained not merely invisibility, but complete absence of all sound. Dick sideslipped down, pancaked, and crashed. He emerged from a plane wrecked beyond hope of early repair, yet luckily, with no injury beyond a few minor bruises, he rushed toward the hangar to encounter a bevy of scared mechanics. "'Another plane! Rev one up quick!' he shouted. Planes were already being wheeled out. Pilots in flying suits and goggles were striding beside them. Dick ordered one of them away, stepped into his plane, and in a moment was in the air again. In a minute or two that had elapsed since the encounter, the enemy had been active. Crash after crash was resounding from various parts of Washington. Buildings were rocking and toppling. Debris strewed the streets. Fires were springing up everywhere. A thousand feet aloft, Dick could see the holocaust of destruction that was being wrought by the infernal missiles. Bombs of such power had been the unattained ambition of every government of the world, and it had been left to the men of the invisible emperor to attain to them. Whole streets went into ruin at each discharge, and from everywhere within the city the wailing cry of the injured went up, in a resonant moan of pain. In the central part of the city, the district about F Street and the government buildings, nothing was standing, except those buildings fashioned of structural steel, and these showed twisted girders like the skeletons of primeval monsters supporting sections of sagging floors houses hotels had melted into shapeless heaps of rubble which filled the streets to a depth of a dozen yards burying everything beneath them yet here and there could be seen the forms of dead pedestrians motor cars emerging out of the debris lying in every conceivable position horses horribly mangled, were shrieking as they tried to free themselves, and yet, despite this ruin, the general impression upon Dick's mind, as he beat to and fro, signaling to his flight to spread, was that of a vast, empty desolation. Further away, where the ruin had not yet fallen, thousands of human beings were milling in a mass, those upon the fringes of the crowd perpetually breaking away, other swarms approaching them, so that the entire agglomeration resembled a seething whirlpool turning slowly upon itself. Then of a sudden the strains of the national anthem floated up to Dick's ears. A band was playing in the White House grounds. The tune was ragged, and the drum came in a fraction of a second late. But an immense pride and elation filled Dick's soul. They'll never beat us, he thought, intensely, with such a spirit as that. He had signaled his flight to spread and search the air. He could see the individual ships darting here and there over the immensity of the city, but none knew better than he how fruitless their effort was and the marauders had not ceased their deadly work a bomb dropped near the washington monument sending up a huge spout of dust that veiled it from his eyes instinctively dick shot toward the scene slowly the dust subsided and then a yell of exultation broke from dick's lips the noble shaft still stood a slim taper pointing to the skies It was an omen of ultimate success, and Dick took heart. No, they'd never beat the grim, unconquerable tenacity of the American people. Yet the damage was proceeding at a frightful rate. A bomb dropped squarely on the Corcoran Gallery, and resolved it into a heap of silly stones. A bomb fell in the middle of Pennsylvania Avenue, and the houses on either side collapsed like houses of cards falling into a sulfurous, fiery pit. And still there was nothing visible but the sky and the moon. Dick gritted his teeth and swore as he circled over the site of destruction, out of which tiny figures were struggling. He heard the clang of the fire bells as the motor trucks came roaring toward the scene, then crash again. Five blocks northward, another dense cloud of dust arose and the new area of destruction spreading as swiftly as ripples over a pond joined the former one leaving a huge irregular open space piled up with masonry and brick in a number of flat-topped pyramids into this houses went crashing every moment with a sound like the clatter of falling crockery but infinitely magnified. "'The devils, the swine!' shouted Dick. "'And we gave von Kettler the privileges of an ambassador.' "'And Fredegonde was the sister of this devil.' The remembrance of that struck a cold chill to Dick's heart again. He tried to blot out her picture from his mind, but he still saw her as she had appeared that day after the air ride, flushed, smiling radiant in her dark beauty. A murderess and a spy, he cursed her as he banked and circled back. He was helpless. He could do nothing, and all Washington would be destroyed by morning if the supply of bombs kept up. But there was more to come. Suddenly, Dick became aware that two of his flight, at widely separated distances, were going down in flames, flaming comets, they dropped plump into the destruction below. Another caught fire and was going down, no need to question what was happening. The invisible enemy was attacking his flight and picking off his men one by one. He drove furiously toward two of his planes, whose erratic movements showed that they were being attacked. As he neared them, He saw one catch fire, and begin its earthward swoop. Then the fuselage crackled beside him, and his instrument board dissolved into ruin. Instinctively he went round in a tight bank, and loosed his machine gun. Nothing there, nothing at all. Yet his right wing went ragged, and his own furious blasts into the sky, their echoes, drowned by the roar of his propeller, were productive of nothing. He shot past the uninjured plane, signaling it to descend. He wasn't going to let his men ride aloft to helpless butchery. Nothing could be done until some means was discovered of counteracting the enemy's terrific advantage. He darted across the heart of the city to where another of the flight was circling, waggling his wings to indicate to it to descend. Then on to the next plane and the next, shepherding them. Thank God they understood. They were bunching toward the hangar. Yet another took fire and dropped, a burning wreck, half his flight out of commission and not an enemy visible. He was aloft alone now, courting death, instant, invisible death. He wouldn't descend until that carnival of murder was at an end but it was not at an end another crash far up pennsylvania avenue showed an attempt upon the Capitol. again again and a smoking hell wreathed the noble buildings so that it was no longer possible to see them a lull and then a crash nearer the city's heart crash crash invisible though the enemy was it was easy to trace the movements of this particular plane by the successive areas of destruction that it left behind it it was coming back over pennsylvania avenue dropping its bombs at intervals it was methodically wiping out an entire section of washington dick drove his plane toward it there was one chance in a thousand that if he could accurately gauge the progress of his invisible antagonist, he could crash him and go down with him to death. If he could get close enough to feel his prop wash. A wild chance, but Dick's mind was keyed up to desperation. He shot like an arrow toward the scene, with a view to intercepting the murderer. Then of a sudden, he became aware of a curious phenomenon, a black beam was shooting across the sky a black searchlight it came from the flat top of a large hotel that had somehow escaped the universal destruction and with its gaunt skeleton of structural steel showing in squares towered out of the ruin all about it like an island it was from here that the black beam started IT SPREAD FANWISE ACROSS THE SKY, BUT IT WAS NOT MERELY BLACKNESS, IT WAS UTTER AND impenetrable DARKNESS, CLEAVING THE SKY LIKE A KNIFE, WHERE IT PASSED, THE RAYS OF THE MOON WERE EXTINGUISHED, AS FIRE IS EXTINGUISHED BY WATER, A BEAM OF ABSOLUTE BLACKNESS, THAT PIERCED THE AIR LIKE A WIDENING CONE, AND MADE THE NIGHT SEEM, BY CONTRAST, of dazzling brightness along either dark border. High into the air that dark beam shot, moving to and fro in the sky. Dick, darting toward the spot where he hoped to find his invisible enemy, found himself caught in it. In utter, inextinguishable darkness, like a trapped bird he fluttered, hurling himself this way and that till suddenly He found himself blinking in the dazzling light of the moon again, and the black beam was overhead. Crash. Another widening sphere of ruin as the invisible marauder dropped a bomb. Dick cursed bitterly. Trapped in that black beam, he had lost his direction. The invisible plane had shot past the point where he had hoped to intercept it he flung his soaring lever and hung suspended in the air, an easy mark for the enemy if he chose to take the opportunity. No matter, death was all that Dick craved. He had seen half his flight wiped out and a hundred thousand human beings hurled to destruction. He wanted to die. Then suddenly a wild shout came to his ears as if all Washington had gone mad would triumph. And Dick heard himself shouting, too, before he knew it, almost before he knew why. For overhead, where the inky finger searched the sky, a luminous shape appeared, a silvery cigar riding in the void. The finger missed it, and again there was only the moonlight. It caught it again, and again the whole devastated city rang with yells of derision hate and anger as the black beam held it it held it to and fro that silvery cigar scurried in a frantic attempt to avoid detection and remorselessly the black beam held it down it held it down and it outlined it as clearly as a figure on the moving picture screen then suddenly There came a flash, followed by a dull detonation, and a black cloud appeared, spreading into a flower of death near the cigar, and at the edge of the black beam. The cheers grew frantic. The anti-aircraft battery in the White House grounds had grasped the situation and was opening fire. To and fro, like a trapped beast, the cigar-shaped airplane fled. Once it seemed to escape. It faded from the edge of the black finger, faded into nothingness, amid a roar of execration. Then it was caught and held. Truncated, bounded by an arc of sky, the black finger followed the murderer in his flight remorselessly, and all around him the anti-aircraft guns were placing a barrage of death. He was trapped— No need for Dick to rush in to battle. To do so might call off that deadly barrage that held the murderer in a ring of death. Hovering, Dick watched, and then, perhaps panic-stricken, perhaps rendered desperate, perhaps through sheer wanton courage that might have commanded the admiration under nobler circumstances, the airship turned and drove straight in the direction of the battery, dropping another bomb as she did so. It fell in a crowded street, swarming with spectators, who had clambered upon the fallen debris, and it wrought hideous destruction. But this time there was hardly a cry, no unison of despair, such as had come to Dick's ears before. The suspense was too tense, All eyes watched the airship as, seeming to bear a charmed life, she drove for the White House itself, through a ring of shells that widened and contracted alternately, with the object of placing a last bomb squarely upon the building before going down in death, and all the while the black searchlight held it. Dick Rennell was to experience many thrilling moments afterward, but there was never a period measurable by seconds, yet seeming to extend through all eternity, never a period quite so fraught with suspense, as, hovering there, he watched the flight of that silvery plane speeding straight toward the executive mansion, while all around it the shells bloomed and spread." It was over the White House grounds. The Archies had failed. They were being outmaneuvered. They could not be swung in time to follow the trajectory of the plane. Dick held his breath. Then suddenly the silvery ship dissolved in a blaze of fire, a shower of golden sparks such as fly from a rocket, and simultaneously the last bomb that she was to drop broke upon the ground below down she plunged instantly invisible as she escaped the finger of the black beam but she dropped into the vortex of ruin that she herself had created into a pit of blazing fire crisscrossed by falling trees that had engulfed the battery and a score of men then suddenly dick understood he flung home the soaring lever banked and headed not for the white house "'but for the flat roof of the hotel "'from which the black searchlight "'was still projecting itself through the skies. "'He hovered above and dropped, "'light as a feather, upon the rooftop. "'There was only one person there, "'an old man dressed in a shabby suit, "'kneeling before a great block of stone "'that had been dislodged upward from the parapet "'and formed a sort of table.' upon this table the old man had placed a large square box resembling an exaggerated kodak and it was from the lens of this box that the black beam was projecting dick sprang from his cockpit as the old man rose in alarm he ran to him and caught him by the arm luke evans he cried thank god you've come back in time to save america end of chapter five chapter six the gas in the blue room of the white house the council listened to old luke evans's exposition of his invention with feelings ranging from incredulity to hope i've been at work all the time said the old man not far from here i knew the day would come when you'd need me I put my pride aside for the sake of my country. Tell us in a few words about this discovery of yours, Mr. Evans, said Colonel Stopford. Luke Evans placed the square black case upon the table. It's simple, like all big things, sir, he answered. The original shadow-breaking device that I invented was a heavy inert gas, invisible. But almost as viscous as paint applied to textiles, to inorganic matter, to animal bodies, it adheres for hours. Its property is to render such substances invisible by absorbing all the visible light rays that fall upon it from red to violet. Light passes through all substances that are coated with this paint as if they did not exist. "'And this antidote of yours?' asked Colonel Stafford. "'Darkness,' replied Luke Evans. "'A beam of darkness that means absolute invisibility. "'It can be shot from this apparatus,' he indicated the box upon the table. "'This box contains a minute portion of a gas which exists in nature "'in the form of a black crystalline powder.' The peculiar property of this powder is that it is the solidified form of a gas more volatile than any that is known. So volatile is it that when the ordinary atmospheric pressure of fifteen pounds to the square inch is removed, the powder instantly changes to the gaseous condition. By pressing this lever, Evans pointed at the box, a vacuum is created instantly the powder becomes a gas which shoots forth through this aperture with the speed of a projectile taking the form of a beam of absolute blackness or it can be discharged from cylinders in such a way as to extend over a large area within a few minutes but how does this darkness make the invisible airships luminous asked stafford why does not your darkness destroy all light in this way sir replied the old inventor the shadow breaking gas with which the airships are painted confers invisibility because it absorbs sunlight but it does not absorb the still more rapid waves or oscillations which manifest themselves as radioactivity. On the contrary, it gathers and reflects these. Now, Rentschen, the discoverer of the X-ray, observed that if X-rays are allowed to enter the eye of an observer who is in complete darkness, the retina receives a stimulus, and light is perceived, due to the fluorescent action of the x-rays upon the eyeball consequently by creating a beam of complete darkness i bring into clear visibility the fluorescent gas that coats the airships in other words the airships become visible if a light ray is nullified upon entering the field of darkness Will it emerge at the other edge as a perfect light ray again? asked Stafford. It will emerge unchanged, since the black beam destroys light by slightly slowing down the vibrations to a point where they are not perceived as light by the human eye. On emerging from the beam, however, these vibrations immediately resume their natural frequency. To give you a homely parallel, the telephone changes sound waves to electric waves, and reconverts them into sound waves at the other end, without any appreciable interruption. Then, said Stafford, the logical application of your method is to plunge every city in the land into darkness by means of this gas? That is so, sir. And then, We shall have the advantage of invisibility, and the enemy ships will be in fluorescence. "'Damned impracticable,' muttered Stopford. "'You seriously propose to darken the greater part of eastern North America?' asked the secretary for war. "'The gas can be produced in large quantities, from coal-tar, besides existing in crystalline deposits,' replied Luke Evans. It is so volatile that I estimate that a single ton will darken all eastern North America for five days, whereas the concentration would be made only in specific areas liable to attack. The gas is distilled with great facility from one of the triphenyl carbonyl coal-tar derivatives. Vice-President Tomlinson was a pompous, irascible old man but it was he who hit the nail on the head that's all very well as an emergency measure but we've got to find the haunt of that gang and smash it an orderly brought in a telegraphic dispatch and handed it to him the vice-president opened it glanced through it and tried to hand it to the secretary of state instead it fluttered from his nerveless fingers and he sank back with a groan. The secretary picked it up and glanced at it. Gentlemen, he said, trying to control his voice. New York was bombed out of the blue at sunrise this morning, and the whole lower part of the city is a heap of ruins. In the days that followed, it became clear that all the resources of America would be needed to cope with the invisible empire. Not a day passed without some blow being struck. Boston, Charleston, Baltimore, Pittsburgh in turn were devastated. Three cruisers and a score of minor craft were sunk in the harbor of Newport News, where they were concentrating, and thenceforward the fleet became a fugitive force, seeking concealment rather than an offensive transatlantic sea traffic ceased meanwhile the black gas was being hurriedly manufactured from cylinders placed in central positions in a score of cities it was discharged continuously covering these centers with an impenetrable pall of night that no light would penetrate only by the glow of radium paint which commanded fabulous prices could official business be transacted and that only to a very small degree courts were closed business suspended prisoners released perforce from jails famine ruled the remedy was proving worse than the disease within a week the use of the dark gas had had to be discontinued and a temporary suspension of the raids served only to accentuate the general terror. There were food riots everywhere, demands that the government come to terms, and counter-demands that the war be fought out to the bitter end. Fought out when everything was disorganized, stocks of food congested all the terminals, mobs rioted and battled and plundered all through the East. It means surrender, was voiced at the council meeting by one of the members, and nobody answered him. Three days of respite, then, instead of bombs, proclamations fluttering down from a cloudless sky. Unless the white flag of surrender was hoisted from the summit of the battered capital, the invisible emperor would strike such a blow as should bring America to her knees. It was a twelve-hour ultimatum, and before three hours had passed, thousands of citizens had taken possession of the capital, and filled all the approaches. Over their heads floated banners, the stars and stripes, and blazoned across them the words, No Surrender. It was a spontaneous uprising of the people of Washington, hungry, homeless in the sharpening autumn weather, and nearly all bereft of members of their families, too often of the breadwinner, now lying deep beneath the rubble that littered the streets, they had gathered in their thousands to protest against any attempt to yield. Dick, flying overhead at the apex of his squadron, felt his heart swell with elation as he watched the orderly crowds. This was at three in the afternoon, At six, the ultimatum ended. The new frightfulness was to begin. At five, Vice-President Tomlinson was to address the crowds. The old man had risen to the occasion. He had cast off his pompousness and vanity, and was known to favor war to the bitter end. Dick and his squadron circled above the broken dome, as the car that carried the Vice-President and the Secretaries of State and for War approached along the avenue. rat tat tat Out of the blue sky, streams of lead were poured into the assembled multitudes. Instantly they had become converted into a panic-stricken mob, turning this way and that. rat tat Swaths of dead and dying men rolled in the dust, and as wheat falls under the reaper's blade, the mob melted away in lines and by battalions. Within thirty seconds, the whole terrain was piled with dead and dying. "'My God, it's a massacre! It's murder!' shouted Dick. They had not even waited for the twelve hours to expire. To and fro... THE INVISIBLE AIRPLANES SHOT THROUGH THE BLUE EVENING SKY TILL THE LAST FUGITIVES WERE STREAMING AWAY IN ALL DIRECTIONS LIKE HUNTED DEER, AND THE DEAD LAY PILED IN GHASTLY HEAPS EVERYWHERE. OUT OF THESE HEAPS WOUNDED AND DYING MEN WOULD STAGGER TO THEIR FEET TO SHAKE THEIR FISTS IMPOTENTLY AT THEIR MURDERERS. IN VAIN, Dick and his squadron strove to dash themselves into the invisible airships. The pilots eluded them with ease, sometimes sending a contemptuous round of machine gun bullets in their direction, but not troubling to shoot them down. Two small boys carrying a huge banner with no surrender across it were walking off the ghastly field, twelve or fourteen years old at most, They disdained to run. They were singing, singing the national anthem, though their voices were inaudible through the turmoil. Rat-tat, rat-tat-tat. The fiends above loosed a storm of lead upon them. Both fell. One rose, still clutching the banner in his hand, and waved it aloft. In a sudden silence his childish treble could be heard. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. The guns rattled again, clutching the blood-stained banner. He dropped across the body of his companion. Suddenly a broad band of black soared upward from the earth. Those in charge of the cylinders placed about the capital had released the gas. A band of darkness, rising into the blue, cutting off the earth, making the summit of the ruined capital a floating dome. But fast as it rose, the invisible airships rose faster above it. A last vicious volley, two of Dick's flight crashing down upon the piles of dead men underneath, and nothing was visible, though the darkness rose till it obliterated the blue above. At dawn the council sat, "'After an all-night meeting, "'Vice-President Tomlinson, "'one arm shattered by machine-gun bullet, "'still occupied the chair at the head of the table. "'Outside, immediately about the White House, "'there was not a sound. "'Washington might have been a city of the dead. "'The railroad terminals, however, "'were occupied by a mob of people, "'busily looting.
1: "'There was
0: great disorder.' organized government had simply disappeared. Each man was occupied only with obtaining as much food as he could carry, and taking his family into rural districts where the terror would not be likely to pursue. All the roads leading out of Washington, into Virginia, into Maryland, were congested with columns of fugitives that stretched for miles. Some who were fortunate enough to possess automobiles, and, what was rarer, a few gallons of gas, were trying to force their way through the masses ahead of them. Here and there a family trudged beside a pack-horse or a big dog drew an improvised sled on wheels, loaded with flour, bacon, blankets, pillows. Old men and young children trudged on uncomplaining. THE TELEGRAPH WIRES WERE STILL, FOR THE MOST PART, WORKING. ALL THE WORLD KNEW WHAT WAS HAPPENING. FROM ALL THE BIG CITIES OF THE EAST, A SIMILAR EXODUS WAS PROCEEDING. THERE WAS LITTLE BITTERNESS AND LITTLE DISORDER. IT WAS NOT THE AIRSHIP RAIDS FROM WHICH THESE CROWDS WERE FLEEING. SOMETHING GRIMMER WAS HAPPENING. THE MURDEROUS ATTACK UPON THE populace ABOUT THE CAPITAL HAD BEEN MERELY AN INCIDENT, This later development was the fulfillment of the Invisible Emperor's ultimatum. Death was a field, death invisible, instantaneous, and inevitable. Death blown on the winds in the form of the deadliest of unknown gases. In the blue room of the White House, a score of experts had gathered. Dick, too, with the chiefs of his staff stopford and the army and naval heads among them was the chief of the meteorological bureau and it was to him primarily that tomlinson was reading a telegraphic dispatch from wilmington south carolina the invisible death has reached this point and is working havoc throughout the city spreading from street to street men are dropping dead everywhere a few have fled but the sudden ending of the dispatch was significant enough tomlinson picked up another dispatch from columbia in the same state invisible death now circling city he read business section already invaded all other telegraphists have left posts can't say how long and this too ended the same way there were piles of such communications and they had been coming in for eighteen hours at that moment an orderly brought in a dozen more tomlinson showed the head of the meteorological bureau the chart upon the table we've plotted out a map as the wires came in mr graves he said the invisible death struck the southeast shore of the united states yesterday afternoon near charleston it has spread approximately at a steady rate. The wind velocity remains constant, 70 miles an hour, dying down a little, answered Graves. The death line now runs from Wilmington, South Carolina, straight to Augusta, Georgia, the vice president pursued. Every living thing that this gas has encountered has been instantly destroyed. Men, Cattle, birds, vermin, wild beasts. The gas is invisible and inodorous. These gentlemen believe it may be a form of hydrocyanic acid, but of a concentration beyond anything known to chemistry, so deadly that a billionth part of it, to one of air, must be fatal. Otherwise it could not have traveled as it has done. WARNINGS HAVE BEEN BROADCASTED, BUT THERE ARE NO STOCKS OF CHEMICALS THAT MIGHT COUNTERACT IT. FLIGHT IS THE ONLY HOPE. FLIGHT AT 70 MILES AN HOUR. HIS VOICE SHOOK. THIS GAS HAS BEEN LOOSED, AS YOU TOLD US, UPON THE WINGS OF THE HURRICANE THAT CAME THROUGH THE FLORIDA Strait. WHAT ARE THE CHANCES OF ITS REACHING WASHINGTON? "'Mr. Vice-President, if the wind continues and this gas has sufficient concentration, it should be in Washington within the next eight hours,' Graves replied. "'If the wind changes direction, however, this gas will probably be blown out to sea or into the Alleghanies, where it will probably be dissipated among the hills or by the foliage on the mountains. I am not a chemist.' "'No, sir, and I'm not consulting you as one,' answered old Tomlinson. "'A death-belt several hundred miles in length, and three or four hundred deep, has already been cut across this continent. We are faced with wholesale, unmitigated murder on such a scale as was never known before. But we are an integral part of America, and Washington has no more right to expect immunity than our devastated southern states the question we wish to put to you is can you trace the exact course taken by the hurricane i can mr vice president answered graves it originated somewhere in the west indian seas like all these storms we've been getting our reports almost as usual our first one came from nassau which was badly damaged. The storm missed the Florida coast, as many of them do, and struck the coast of South Carolina. In fact, we received a report from Charleston, which must have almost coincided with your first report of the gas. If the storm missed the Florida coast, it follows that the gas was not discharged from any point on the American continent, said Tomlinson from some point off florida from some island or from a plane or from a ship at sea not from a ship at sea mr vice-president interposed the head of the chemical bureau to discharge gas on such an extensive scale would require more space than could be furnished by the largest vessel in my opinion in all probability the gas was loaded so to say, onto the gale somewhere in the Bahamas, said Graves. That seems to me the most likely explanation. Vice-President Tomlinson nodded and picked up one of the latest telegraphic dispatches, as if absently. Gentlemen, he said, the invisible death has already reached Charlotte. He picked up another. Reported... Abaco Island, Bahamas, totally wrecked by storm. All communication has ceased, he read. He turned to Dick and spoke, as if inspired. Captain Rennell, there is your destination, he thundered. They've betrayed themselves. We've got them now. You understand? By God, sir, it's from Abaco Island, then, that those devils have been carrying on their game of wholesale murder suddenly a contagion of enthusiasm seemed to sweep the whole assemblage every man was upon his feet in an instant white quivering lips opened for speech that trembled there and did not come it was secretary norris spoke the vice-president has hit the mark he said with a dramatic gesture of his arm yes they've betrayed themselves their headquarters are on abaco island it's one of the largest in the Bahamas. He turned to the secretary for the Navy. You can rush the fleet there, sir, he asked. Within 48 hours, I'll have every vessel that can float off Abaco Island. I'll concentrate all airplanes. Take your flight, Captain Reynold. We'll stamp out that nest of murderers if we blow Abaco Island to the bottom of the sea. It can be done. It can be done, sir, with Luke Evans and his invention, answered Dick. End of chapter 6 End of section 5